Friday the 26th of March 2021 and you're listening to episode 10 of Reds Unrestricted. In today's international break episode, we discuss Harvey Elliott's developments before a wide-ranging Q&A with Liverpool journalist David Lynch. Hope you enjoy it. I'm your host, David Comerford, and the eagle-eared, if that makes sense, listeners among you will think, hang on, isn't it, isn't it Dan's turn to host? Um, don't they alternate hosting duties? And you'd be absolutely right. Uh, unfortunately, Dan was a uh, sort of a fitness doubt, I guess, for, for the podcast today with, um, with, a, with a sore throat. So, so Dan, um, you've made it. And what a relief it is. And are you going to call me out for this? Uh, yeah, I've made it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for making me uh, explain uh, the late fitness test. But yeah, I'm all right. Um, I've got a honey and lemon with me. Um, I am possibly the world's worst person when ill. So uh, bear with me. Pop a man flu. But yeah, I'm all right and I'm here. So cheers. Well, I'm glad you are because we've got an episode today that I'm I'm really looking forward to. We've got two guests for the first time and they're both uh, very high caliber guests um, and the first of those is uh, Jacob Crook who's a Blackburn Rovers reporter for Lanx Live um, so obviously <laughs> this is a Liverpool podcast so I can give you three guesses what we're going to be talking about here but uh, before we get into that uh, Jacob uh, how, are you, how are you doing? Good evening guys I don't think I've ever been called high caliber before so I'll take that. <laughs> You know what? Working for a regional newspaper, I'd I'd call that high caliber. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have that on my um, I might have that framed on my on my, <laughs> on my wall. Send it to my girlfriend as well. <laughs> well, obviously you've now got to live up to that to that billing um with with the insight that you give us, um and we're going to be discussing uh Harvey Elliott, uh who has this week been named as part of goals next gen fifty, um so it's nice and timely this recording uh so we'll kick off by just sort of a, a stylistic question really so uh myself and dan you know i can't i can't really speak for for dan too much but um i don't watch the championship um but i have seen the obviously the goals and assists that crop up on my on my twitter timeline really but Beyond those sort of snippets and those highlights, how, how would you define sort of Harvey Elliott's all-round game as someone who, who watches them pretty often? Yeah, it's the Championship has, has always it's been a, a real mix in terms of styles, and especially this season in such unprecedented circumstances, you get a real mix in, in different teams, different styles that you, that you come up against. And at the start of the year, Blackburn were playing really attractive football, uh, engaging on the press high and, and uh, moving the ball quickly and, and sort of um, the schedule sort of allowed it. it. You know, it was quite easy coming back into it and it seems quite, sounds quite simple, but obviously the pitches allowed it as well. Very good nick at the time. And then you sort of get over to the, the winter months and you, you come across like really bobbly pitches that have deteriorated over, over a period of time with a difficult winter and the amount of games that they've had and sort of a, the styles change and teams start to get a little bit more direct. And um, But through all of it, Harvey Elliott's sort of been the, the shining light 
through everything, especially through a pretty rough December patch. Um, like Rovers had obviously had ambitions to, to reach the playoffs this season. They'd went on an unbeaten run in November, went into December full of confidence, hoping to sort of build on that and break into the top six. And um, they suffered a defeat against Bristol City and they sort of needed someone to, to like carry the fight on, on their shoulders a little bit, take a bit of responsibility. And he's got the, the individuality to, to beat teams. I don't know if you've seen his goal against Norwich City, where um, he, he sort of skipped inside a defender, nutmeg Grant Hanley, and then knocked it past the goalkeeper. And that sort of as best epitomises his season, really. It's, it's, it's really easy to forget he's only 17. I mean, there's, there's quite a few teenage championship talents that have been knocking about. Um, but such, he's still such a tender age, but uh, his sort of influence on matches, his maturity, he's, he's been excellent this season. Obviously, the last couple of weeks, uh, I don't know if you've seen, he's, he's been starting from a bench on, on a couple of occasions, but um, it's not much to read into. It's not entirely down to his form. It's just when you're playing like 10 fixtures in the space of four and a half weeks, you can't afford to, to really burn him out. Um, but he's he's been a shining light this season and it'd be difficult to replace him for next next campaign. Yeah, I was going to... You just kind of alluded to what I was going to ask in a way. Like, I've, I've noticed he's been on the bench quite a lot more recently and I wondered whether that was down to maybe a shift in style from Tony Mobley, isn't it? Obviously, a manager there. Um, and obviously, earlier on the season, you touched on that you were playing a bit more football, if you like. And obviously... From the little we do know, he's a he's a ball-playing winger, isn't he? He gets the ball down and plays. So, generally, would you say, like, have Blackburn moved away from his strengths and that's why he's not featured as much, possibly, recently? Uh, no, they've still tried to, like, retain the same identity. Um, Mowbray sort of stuck by that. It, it's been quite a transitional period for, for Blackburn. Um, obviously, when they got promoted from League One, they were quite a direct-style team. Uh, and then in the summer, Mowbray thought it was the best opportunity to sort of move away from that and focus on being a, a ball retention sort of style. That's always been his sort of philosophy, uh, philosophies when, uh, as a manager, throughout his 20-odd years in, in like managerial situations. And so, yeah, this season was sort of seen as, as the best opportunity to, to change that. Um, and they've, they've stuck to it pretty much all the way through. There's been instances where, you simply just have to change your style depending on opposition. Hasn't quite worked out for them. Um, Barnsley away being a, a big example of that, where they went for a more direct approach just to combat the way that Barnsley pressed, uh, and they were still on the, on the receiving end of a defeat. So they've tried to stick with with a ball retention approach. It's more the fact that teams now they're sort of aware of what. Blackburn were capable of at the start of the season. They transitioned really quickly. Um, and Elliot sort of complemented that in the way with his, his range of passing. He could pick out Armstrong, who was running on the shoulder, and he'd, he'd put it on a, on a plate for him to, to run through and, and finish. And more teams now, you find them sitting deeper against Rovers. They sort of find it difficult in the final third to, to break teams down. And having someone of his quality can sort of, sort of help him in, in that way. And uh, they've had to sort of be unique a little bit. They still haven't found a solution for it, but that and a mix of sort of keeping him fresh, making sure he doesn't doesn't burn out, it's been a, a large part in why he's sort of been starting from a bench a little bit more. I've got no doubt that once 
international breaks done and we're, we're back into the last eight matches of a season, it'll be, it'll be featuring more regularly. But um, just in terms of sort of keeping that fresh, um, that's sort of been the reason why that's, that's happened. I always appreciate how Liverpool are able to sort of send players to teams that, you know, they are going to be able to flourish and they, they really think hard, hard about the loans. Um, but just, um, you know, not to be sort of negative in any way, but have, have you picked up on any sort of potential pitfalls in, in Elliot's game, both in terms of, you know, his, his sort of football and, um, you know, what's his, his attitude been like? I mean, it seems like he's really, you know, grabbed it by the scruff of the neck in the championship, but there was, I think, an incident recently where he lost the ball in, in a dangerous area and it, it led to a goal for the opposition. So are there, is there any in, any potential weaknesses that have cropped up? His, his application's been been brilliant. Um, after that game against Reading, he was he was apologetic. He was really down in the changing rooms and saying how he, you know, he wanted to make up for it and stuff. But in, in terms of his attitude, he's, he's been exceptional. Um, in From a defensive standpoint, viewpoint, uh, there's there's a lot of work that, that sort of needs to be done, and probably in terms of in tra- tracking back, like, Black, like Blackburn can't really afford, you know, a player of, of of luxury to say, and it's not to say that he doesn't, you know, track back or anything like that, but sometimes it's just a bit bit weak in the tackle. But I suppose if you're in a Liverpool team and you can afford to give him sort of the the respite to do what he what he wishes, then you might benefit from that. Uh, and then, as you say about about that Reading goal, um, it's just a simple case of, of, of inexperience, really. Like tried to keep hold of the ball for a little too long, and um, he was just dispossessed in a, in a really awkward position where, where the defence had split and there was sort of nobody to cover. Uh, and you're going to get punished in, in the championship for in those sort of situations. So that's just experience, really. And then I think sometimes he tries like to force it once too often, but Again, you sort of have to, especially with the final third woes that Rovers have had, just having that bit of creativity, somebody that can force a pass. It's not always necessarily a bad thing, but um, maybe on one or two occasions uh, he's overdone it. And just being more selfish as well. There's been opportunities where he could have shot, um, probably should have shot, and he instead opted to pass or, or try and put something else on. Uh, and the opportunity went. Um, but those those things you can work on with experience. But uh, for for seventeen at the minute, he's, he's a great talent. Yeah, I think we have to keep reminding ourselves how young he is because, like, you're obviously talking from a Blackburn point of view, and by the sounds of it, a lot of not responsibility, but a hell of a lot of your play tends to go through him. Like, I watched the game when he gave the ball away for that goal, and it looked like he just ran out of options in a way. Like everybody we could have passed to just kind of dispersed. Like you say, the defense split and. He ended up losing the ball and away they went. So, but obviously, I think the million dollar question from a Liverpool point of view um, for next season, because the likelihood is, I guess, that he comes back to us in the season. I'm sure Blackburn looked to have him back. But um, at this stage, that doesn't look like going to happen. So, you know, we're talking a few months' time. Would he be ready to become what would be a Premier League squad player, really, for Liverpool? I think you just have to look at his numbers from this season to, to see that he's. he's pretty much conquered the championship. I mean, 10, 10 assists, five goals. Um, only Emi Buendia, who's like been tooted with Arsenal and, and all the other Premier League lot has, has got more than him in terms of assists. Uh, and then just 
the rest of um, like his data has just been pretty exceptional, and he's maintained that across across the season. So I've, I think he's ready. I personally think he's ready to, to make the step up to the Premier League. Um, in terms of what Liverpool want from him, uh, not quite sure, but he's shown that he's got sort of like a positional flexibility. He can play on the right. He's he's played on the left, and he's also operated as like the false nine in the in the attacking three. But he's also been the number eight in the middle as well. He's got that sort of ability to dictate games. Um, his, his passing's exceptional. And so he's quite useful having in the middle as well. So he can pretty much be deployed anywhere and he'll, he'll make an impact. So I think he's ready to, to step up personally. Uh, and I'll be looking forward to seeing him next season. Well, that's obviously music to our ears, really. Um, that's exactly what we want to hear. Um, and yeah, thanks very much for for the insight that you've given us and hopefully everyone's um who, who doesn't necessarily follow the championship week in week out has um has enjoyed hearing that as well and um giving them more even more reason to be excited about about this young talent that we have so we move on to the main body of our episode and our second guest for the day who uh i'm happy to say is really one of the the big names really in in liverpool journalism um it's, it's david lynch um David, uh, how have you been and how are you finding this really lengthy break from Liverpool matches? Yes, I'm, I'm quite taken aback by that uh, that intro, to be honest. That's uh, very complimentary. I didn't expect that, so thank you very much. Um, I don't know if you, I've maybe gone too far there, to be honest, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it, it's in terms of the break, it's no, it's good to um, it, it's good sometimes. I think. You know, you can get bogged down in, in really working too hard sometimes around when there's been so many fixtures and particularly in this this year where it's the, the calendar's just been so crazy. So, you know, you in a usual season, I think sometimes you'd be cursing the international break because there's just not as much to write about. But I think this time around, it's just a welcome break from from the relentless schedule of games. So it's, um, yeah, no, it's been, good, it's been good to get a little break from it, I suppose. Yeah, that's actually the, the second guest today who's been... Uh, Pleasantly surprised by the uh, the intro that I've given them, um, but uh, we'll uh, we'll sort of pick up where we left off, really, because uh, we were talking we were talking to a, a Blackburn journalist about uh, Harvey Elliott. Uh, so we'll we'll start on that, and um, really, you know, from what from the impression that you get, do you expect Liverpool to promote him to a squad role this season? Like, is he is he rated that highly, particularly off the back of this uh, impressive loan spell? Yeah, well, to be honest, that was, you know, from my understanding, the, the plan was to do that already anyway this this season, really. I think a lot of what happened depended on what what sort of turned out with Jordan Shakiri. to be honest. I think the idea was to to let him move on and, and then give Harvey Elliott that sort of spot because they're, you know, similar-ish players, sort of playmakers rather than out-and-out wingers that, that play out wide. And I think the idea was to, to give Harvey Elliott those minutes in the League Cup and in the FA Cup and, and the odd substitute appearance. Um, and obviously with Shakiri, nothing really materialised in terms of him moving away. So I think that's more likely to happen now this, this summer coming round. I think Shakiri, you know, he's been a good servant for Liverpool. He would have liked to have played a little bit more, but injuries have sort of let him down a little bit. But I think if they can get a decent offering for him, I think it, I think both club and, and player would maybe say it's it's maybe time to move on. And I think that that will then open up a spot for Harvey Elliott. And I think it's it's worked out quite well, really, in the end, because I think, you know, for Elliott, I think he's probably benefited more from playing more regularly at Blackburn than he would have getting those sporadic minutes in a Liverpool team that's 
that's not particularly high on confidence. Um, so I think it's probably been better for him overall in terms of his development this year. But I think, yeah, they're very much it's it's not one of those where I think you know in this in the summer when I tweeted out that he was he was going to to Blackburn on loan, people suggested it might be the death knell for his Liverpool career as it has been for other players who've who've gone out on loan. But it it wasn't like that at all. It was sort of a, a, an almost a last minute decision from Liverpool, but one that they you know because they have such big faith in him, they thought that he would benefit more. From doing from doing that, than maybe sitting behind Shakiri on the bench. So, uh, yeah, really excited to see you know how far he's developed. He's been doing really well, hasn't he? And and I think he will be firmly part of the the first team squad next season. It, it's interesting what what you say there because the, the next thing I was going to ask was, you know, if you thought Liverpool would when they were going into the transfer market, bear in mind that any addition might block Elliot's path. But what what you've the angle you've taken on it is you'd probably expect Shaqiri to actually make way and Liverpool to think, you know, let's focus on the future with Elias instead of someone like Shaqiri who's, you know, quite far into his 20s now. Yeah, exactly. I think, well, that's it. And the, the, the fact that they were willing to sort of give him those minutes already, you know, prior to the, the situation emerging where Shaqiri couldn't get a move away, I think shows just how highly rated he is. The fact, I mean, we, we saw that already, didn't we, I suppose, in terms of his, his first team involvement Last season was was pretty heavy for a for a player of his age, um, and just shows how big of a talent he is, really. So I think everyone at Liverpool is is massively excited about him. I don't think he's ever he's never let anyone down in first team training and, and the standards you think about in Liverpool training for a for a teenager to be hitting those standards on a weekly basis is is just incredible, really. And so yeah, I think everyone's really excited to get him back and, and get him you know fully into the first team squad. And again, to be honest, I think it's going to be a, a situation where he's not playing every week, as you know that that the players that Liverpool have got and the options they've got in forward areas, he's he's still going to, you know, not be picking up an, an amazing amount of minutes, I suppose. But the, the very fact that he's in and around the first team is um, is pretty incredible given his age. And, I'm yeah, I'm really excited to see more of him at Liverpool and see how he develops. Yeah, I, th- I think we all are. We got um, rave reviews off Jacob earlier on the Blackburn journalist. He couldn't, couldn't really speak highly enough of him, to be honest. Um, and like Dave touched upon, it's interesting that Shakiri looks like he's going to make way because we did an episode last week which basically said the same thing really like we did a bit of a keep loan sell scenario and I think it was me that touched upon Shakiri leaving for Elliot and obviously you know what you said was would tend to back that up so yeah obviously I think we're all excited to have him back next season and it might save us a bit of money it's the old the old adage that Liverpool fans certainly in the FSG come up with that this kid's going to save us so many millions in the transfer market, but Harvey Elliott might actually do that. So that'd be nice. Um, well, it's, it's a very, it's a very similar situation, actually. It mirrors quite well the, the, the Lallana situation in that, you know, he was sort of a fringe player and towards the back end of his Anfield career. And the idea was, you know, people would argue that oh, Liverpool needs to sign someone when he left, but he, he knew that Curtis Jones would just slot mm. right in and pick up those minutes, and he's 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 done even more than that this season because of the injuries that Liverpool have had. But that that is the idea. They want to create pathways for these young players, and I think that they've shown with Curtis Jones that they're willing to do that. They're willing to open up the spots in the squad, and, and I think that's you know it's, it's a similar idea they've got is is moving on Shakiri and, and obviously getting Elliot. Obviously, the, the the one thing that could throw a spanner in the works is what sort of money is flying around in this next market and whether. Shakiri gets an offering that he wants to take, but I, I would think things have recovered slightly, and that his, he, you know, he's in a position where he probably wants to move on now, just to, to play more regular football towards the end of his career. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think, like you touched upon there, that things 
might not have recovered by then, but the fact that fans could potentially be coming back next season will make people a lot more comfortable with spending money anyway. So we yeah. might get what, what we deserve for the likes of Shakiri and Origi and what have you. But moving on to um, a bit of the uh, the talk of the season in many ways, certainly from a transfer point of view, is uh, Wijnaldum. So over the weekend, I think it was Sunday, the Sunday Times reported that he'd essentially agreed a deal to leave the club. Um, and it's since been reported that that might not have been the case and he might have jumped the gun a little bit. So I just wanted to get your perspective and uh, just generally on the situation really behind Wijnaldum. Um, obviously, they've been at a deadlock for some time now. Um, and every time you hear either Klopp or the players speak about it, it's like, oh, we wanted to stay. And obviously, Wijnaldum said he'd be devastated to leave. So just from where you're sitting, like, what would you put the deadlock to? Um, obviously, the contract issues or maybe playing minutes. It can't really be that because he plays more than anyone. So what would your take on it be? Yeah, so it, it, it's clear, isn't it, that, that basically it's a, it's a financial disagreement, really. And I think that's been the theme, really, for, since the start of this whole this whole thing, really, is that when they were getting towards the end of, of Wijnaldum's Album's contract, is, is Liverpool sat down and had talked to his agent about what they would be willing to pay and what the... You know what his weekly wage would be, and I don't. I don't think Wijnaldum felt that was a fair reflection of, of his importance to the squad. And he's possibly got a point, hasn't he? I suppose, like you mm. say, he plays every week. It's mm. this season. I've said it before. It's, it's been like an experiment to see test the limits of the human body with Wijnaldum. He's played an, an incredible amount of football, um, so I think you know he, he has every right to say that he's been an absolutely crucial member of the squad that's won the Champions League and the Premier League under the club. I think. You know, one thing that's interesting about this, though, is is that, you know, as fans and reporters, we all talk about the idea of, of Liverpool being smart in the transfer market. And, uh, and part of that is obviously being good at, at realising when players are maybe on the decline. And and I'm not saying that about Wijnaldum, by the way. I think he's absolutely phenomenal. And I don't think he's let his, his performance level dip. He's been the most consistent member in the squad this season for me. Um, but... You know, Liverpool have a tough decision to make. Do you sign him up to a four-year contract, make him one of the best-paid players at the club, considering all the minutes that you've put into him and the fact that at some point his decline is going to start in the next few years, just given his age bracket? Do you put a massive offer on the table or do you try and make the smart decision, which is or what they will consider the smart decision? I, I, I couldn't you know, dare to say either way whether this is a good decision or not, but they would argue that, you know, at some point you've got to move that player on and then that dip will happen for someone else elsewhere. And I think I think that is the plan with Wijnaldum. The problem is when you were doing that, obviously, it's very, very difficult to know until you're a couple of seasons down the line or even a season down the line, whether it is a smart decision to let someone with that level of experience and quality go. But I think, I think this is how Liverpool are looking at it, is that they can move them on not give him a, 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 what they would consider a crazy contract and, and use that money better to, to bring in someone younger and, and, and sort of to become the next Wijnaldum. I'm thinking the likes of Eves Basuma at Brighton, who I know that Liverpool have definitely had a close look at. So it's a tough one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. No one wants to see Wijnaldum leave, but then equally, maybe maybe two, two seasons down the line, this could look like a really smart decision. It's just very, very difficult to do that in the moment and see it as a smart decision, just letting someone of that that quality go. It is. And I make you dead right on a lot of your points there. Um, I think if he had another year on his contract, just like a normal situation, that would probably be the ideal. Because at that yes, point, you yeah. might you might have started to see that decline by then. You know what I mean? Absolutely, but yeah. As, as it stands, it's a really difficult one because 
it's a it's a catch twenty two because no one expected to play so many minutes, so it might have looked like a more normal thing to do to let him go. But we've been playing essentially every game this season, so suddenly let him go looks really bizarre. But at the same time, bigger picture, you know, we signed Thiago last summer, who has come in to probably take some of the minutes off him. Hasn't been allowed to happen because of injuries, but here we are. Um, so yeah, you mentioned obviously an outside target, but I mean, stop me, I can't think of many, but. The Curtis Jones potentially could come through and play even more next season. They're very different players, but is there anyone else in-house? I mean, Oxlade-Chamberlain potentially, but again, does he leave in the summer? So in terms of options for replacement, where do you think Liverpool will be looking to go? Yeah, so Curtis Jones, I think, obviously, you expect him to keep growing and growing. I think he's played more football than Klopp would have liked this season. You know, that's no reflection on his talent or his ability or how he's performed. I just think... He would have liked to have taken his development a little bit slower and, and they wouldn't have planned for him to play this frequently. But he's, you know, he's completely embraced it and I think he's been fantastic. But it's, um, you know, it was a little bit soon for him maybe to throw him in and, and with the expectations around Liverpool. But yeah, so I, th- I think he's obviously a, a ready-made to sort of ball to midfield a little bit. I think obviously we, we'd hope to see more of Thiago. Obviously, mm. Chamberlain's an interesting one just because... Uh, I, you know, this is not a, a sense I get from anyone at the club or anything. This is just my sort of take on things. But it's, mm. you know, I feel like if if a decent enough offer came in, you know, would the player himself as well consider that that, that might be a good move? Because I just, I, you know, he's been fit for quite a while now, and mm. Jurgen Klopp's not really used him uh, at all, really. And I, and I think that shows maybe a little bit of a lack of faith in him. Um, you know, his, his fitness problems have been behind him for quite a while this season and he's just barely had a look in, even off the, the substitutes bench. So I think, you know, his, his Liverpool career is really coming to a crossroads. Other midfielders, Naby Keita is another one, isn't he? Yeah. You know, two years left on his contract at the moment, no sign of Liverpool offering him a new one. Big, big decision to make around him this summer if they want to recoup any of the money or whether they think that they can finally get a tune out of him. So it's you know it's a difficult one in that in that midfield area, and that just shows you really why it's such a big and difficult decision to let Wijnaldum go because so many of the options that they've currently got have got question marks over them. Um, it's it's a really really tough one, and I'm I'm, I'm glad I'm not the sporting director to be honest. Yeah, one hundred percent. Naby Keita is a really interesting name to throw in the mix as well because. You know, the, the impression you get from the likes of Klopp and, and other coaching staff, and as soon as he's fit, like properly fit, he tends to play. So you've got to think Klopp loves him, but it's that word fit, isn't it? It just doesn't happen anywhere near often enough. So, like, if they received a good offer for him in the summer, I'd be so tempted, but it's so difficult to say, like you like like touched upon. Um, so I think we're going to move on now to Dave and uh, Virgil. Yeah, um, keeping it with the, the Netherlands theme, I guess. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, obviously, uh, David, you'll have seen the uh, the comments from Frank De Boer this week about about Van Dijk and his and his recovery, um, saying that I think he said there was eight eight weeks left before he expected him to be training again. And obviously, Liverpool have, you know, as they have the right to do, have kept their lips pretty much sealed on the timeline. So that's maybe the first real indication that we have. Obviously, that effectively rules him out for us but how much of a concern do you think it is obviously personally and at the club that the Netherlands will rush him back and uh, Liverpool might suffer the consequences of that down the line yeah I think it's a huge worry for Liverpool I think they've been at pains 
ever since you know Van Dijk underwent surgery on that knee to, to you know they didn't want to put dates on it they didn't want to put any pressure on the player they didn't want to put anyone's hopes up and even even when you know there were quite a few videos when they're coming out on social media Virgil posts pretty regularly about his recovery in a way that you don't you don't really see that from a lot of players is you know they don't I think they like to sort of hide themselves away while they're going through rehab from such serious injuries but Virgil's been very very public about it and then you've you've had at moments fans getting a bit carried away and excited that he could be back for for April or whatever because you know because he looks so good in those videos but I spoke to someone who used to be on the medical team at Liverpool and they, they told me from those videos, I think that was maybe a couple of months ago, said, you know, he's, he's not ahead of schedule at all. He's exactly where you would expect him to be in his recovery. So, you know, don't don't get excited about him coming back for the end of the season. The, the problem is, as you, as you rightly point out, is that the Netherlands will think that his recovery is probably just about in line to maybe get him back to make a couple of appearances at the Euros, which is, it's a bit of a disaster for Liverpool, really, the timing, because... I think Frank de Boer is, is right to maybe say that, you know, eight weeks and, and maybe that gives him a chance to to make a comeback. And, and if there is a possibility that the Netherlands could sneak him into the squad, they, they will 100% take it. And Liverpool will have an issue on their hands because they can't sell the player no, can they? And, you know, if, if he's fit and he wants to go and he feels like he's ready to do it, he, he will go because you only get so many of these tournaments in your footballing career. So he's not going to want to miss one if he can feature, which is a, yeah, for Liverpool, you know, they'll be watching through the fingers, won't they? Because it's so, you know, the idea of him getting another setback if he if he rushes himself back slightly is is quite scary given how much they've missed him this year. So I think for Liverpool, they, they, they will be worried about it because there's, there's absolutely nothing they can do. If, if the player wants to go and, and his country calls him up, then they've got no control over the situation, basically. So, yeah, it, it is a major worry. And I guess, you know, the other thing on that is that this is the Netherlands' first uh, major tournament for a good few years, isn't it? So it, I guess there's like added, added pressure there as well. But just to um, briefly touch on, um, so I didn't actually plan to talk about this, but I, I thought it was worth getting um, your thoughts on it. Um, Joe Gomez, obviously you mentioned how the Van Dyke recovery process has been, you know, probably pretty well publicised. Um, but with Gomez, we've we've hardly seen anything really, um, and he's certainly been a lot quieter about it. I just there's not really any rational behind this, but I just get the impression that this injury might be, I, I don't know, even almost even more serious than it originally seemed, and it seemed pretty serious in the first place. Yeah, I, th- I think it was a I think it was a different and a less sort of clean injury than than Van Dyke's maybe a, a bit less sort of obvious what to do about it than than maybe what Van Dyke you know Van Dyke's very typical ACL isn't it? How many times have we seen footballers get those and and you know the exact recovery path? I think with with Gomez because it was a slightly unusual injury, it was, you know they're, they're a bit less you know, a bit more wary, I'd say, about sort of putting timelines on it or, or, you know, speaking about how the recovery might go. But, you know, to be fair, Jürgen Klopp was, was pretty positive the other day in saying that he expected Van Dijk, Gomez and Joe Matic to all play a full part in pre-season. So, um, you know, he, he's not sort of suggesting that it's it's anything more serious or that it's going to take longer. I just think it's a different type of injury. And if that's right and he's he's back for preseason, that's that's exciting because I think he's been just as much of a, a miss as Van Dijk as in this season because you know he could have he could have massively helped out in terms of lightening the load on that back four if he'd have just been fit and you know he, he really would have been helpful to him and I think we saw this in the brief period 
between Van Dijk being out and then then Gomez joining him is that he he was ready to sort of step up and really take on that leadership role. So it's a shame we didn't get to see that this season. But yeah, the the, the outlook from Liverpool is that the preseason is is the schedule really for him and. And that's that's good news because you know to have all three of them back for the preseason will be massive. Yeah, um, just just wanted to echo that final bit there really about getting the trio back. It's amazing. Like it's not the disrespect, but how you know people concentrate on the Van Dyke one, but Joe Gomez is obviously a massive loss. Um, and it's a good point you make in terms of he looked so assured in the little time where it was him as the main centre back, if you like. Um, and the Virgil Van Dyke's another level, so it's easy to overlook Gomez, but. You know, he's a top quality player himself, like so. It's an interesting one, but um, yeah. So Simon Hughes recently, um, essentially outlined Liverpool priorities, or what at least he believes to Liverpool's priorities in the summer. Um, a centre back and a forward player, if you like. Um, so I wanted to touch on the forward situation really to begin with, um, and what you expect Liverpool to pursue really. Uh, obviously, we signed Jota last summer. A bit left field, really, because it just kind of came out the blue. But do you expect Liverpool to go for a similar type of player? Um, and I suppose sort of, because Jota, I think, was 40-something million, a similar sort of ilk of transfer as well, because, you know, we can we can go on all day about your Haaland's and Mbappe's, but they're probably unrealistic. So would you expect a similar type of deal? And would you expect a similar type of versatile sort of forward as opposed to, you know, you're out and out number nine? Yeah, I, I think if they, if they are signing forward, and obviously Simon's spot on usually in terms of his, you know, he's a great journalist, so I 100% will be right on that. I've no doubt about it. Um, I, I, I personally, I can't say I've, I've heard much on the on the forward side of things. I, I, I'm not really sure. But, I, but a few of the names sort of stick out to me as very much Liverpool signings. I'm thinking of, of Rafinha at Leeds United. That just seems like Liverpool down to the ground, doesn't it? Um, Pats and Dak is another one that sort of stands out to me as maybe one of the, the players that Liverpool would definitely be taking a look at as well. I think if, if there is a forward to come in, I think that sort of tells you about where Takumi Minamino is up to in his Liverpool career. And I think this, you know, this loan spell at Southampton could be with a view to maybe moving him on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, if, if that is to be the case, and, and like we say, Shakiri is going to move on, obviously, you want Harvey Elliott to be an option there, but you don't want to put too much pressure on him. So I think another another forward, if you are to look for another forward, I think it's going to be someone who's, you know, flexible and can can play all the way across the forward line because I think that's what Liverpool need. They're not going to be able to get an out and out Firmino backup, are they, or replacement? He's such a weird, a weird and brilliant yeah. footballer, very very unique, I think, in terms of his skill set in European football. So I think if they are to get one a forward in, I think it's going to be someone who can can do all the jobs, and I think. I think Marnie and, and Salah have both shown that as well themselves, that they can play in that centre-forward position. I thought Salah in particular um, in the 18-19 season seems to spend a lot of time there. So I think, yeah, I think I think flexibility and the ability to, you know, change things up even during a game, That I think that's the, the order of the day, really. And obviously we know how good Jot has been. So that, that sort of signing, if, even if Liverpool don't end up signing a Haaland or Mbappe and you hear all those links... I think you can you can back them to sign someone and turn them into world class within two months because that's what we've seen with Jota already. So yeah, I'm not too worried about them signing big names. I think anyone they sign is going to going to be a decent player because they they've got such a good track record in recent years. Yeah, we did a little bit. So I think yeah, that's I think that is what Liverpool do. Like you say, even with Jota, you know, we signed him 
having a decent season for Wolves last year, but what he's done this season, even though it's been tempered by injury, obviously he's been outstanding. Like I don't think anyone expected him to be as good as he has been. So, but we did a bit of a, a look into Firmino, really. We kind of all unanimously agreed a couple of weeks ago that we think he'll have a bit more of a squad role, but obviously you're singing his praises there, rightfully so in many ways, but does that mean you don't think we'll look to sign you more of your archetypal number nine then in that case? I just, I, I would just be surprised by by if he, them going for an out and out number nine, unless, unless you know, unless they thought they could get the Haaland deal done and the money was there to be, to do it up, for example. But I just think I'd be surprised with them getting an out and out number nine, just because I think the way Firmino plays the game is so crucial to how you know the the, the numbers that Jota, oh, well, sorry, Salah and Mane have been putting up, and now obviously we're seeing it with Jota as well, having that that centre forward who who completely vacates that space just so the wingers can score more goals. I think, you know, if you, if you stuck an out-and-out out number nine up there, what would that do to Salah and Mane and how do you have to change other elements of the team? I think it'd be interesting. I think in terms of Firmino's role and in being a squad option, I think that that process would have started this season. I think we'd have seen a lot less of him um, had Jota not picked up that injury. I think you would have seen that front three of Jota, Salah, Mane, you know, quite a lot. And, Firmino, I, f- I feel for him a little bit because he's played an awful lot of football and his, his form has is, is dips as a result this season. I don't think that was ever the plan for him to, to play every game as he has done for the, the past couple of seasons as well. So, you know, I think they, they, they want more rotation in there. They want to give themselves options so that, you know, if, if Firmino, and I, I think he's the one out of the three who's most likely to hit his decline first, mm. I think he had the maybe the lowest peak of the three and that that's not doing him down as a footballer. Just the other two were ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I think he had the lowest peak and maybe his slide has maybe started earlier. And, and, and so I think Liverpool were making plans for that with Jota. The only problem was that he obviously got that injury and, and they've missed him badly. But I think, yeah, I think you could maybe see him just being slightly sort of moved out of the team over, over the next season or so. And then, you know, they'll give themselves some more options there. And like I said, you know, someone like a Dakar or Rafinha makes a lot of sense to me to help with that process. And then you throw in Jota and, and Harvey Elliott and, yeah, you've, you've got some some fabulous options up there. And actually, I would say, in fact, on the squad building thing, that so much of this depends on what Liverpool's uh, finishing position in the league is and the size of the squad they need will be reflected in that. So... I can see a lot of the decisions changing in the next couple of months, depending on where Liverpool end up. Or if we win the Champions League, obviously. <laughs> of course, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, then, if you win the Champions League, then you might as well just sign Mbappe, haven't you? <laughs> I like that. That's what we need to hear. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I make you right again, to be fair. Um, the Firmino role is an interesting one. I think it's one to one to keep an eye on, really, to be honest, because I think he would have been phased out potentially this year. Um I'm not a massive fan of Salah through the middle, I must admit. I think he's he's so good off the right, it's hard to be a fan of anywhere else. But I'm not yeah. hugely convinced by that. But that's an interesting one. Um, so we move on now to uh, centre-half, which is the other area uh, Simon Hughes picked up on, really, which I think is probably the more obvious area in need of strengthening, given what's gone on. Um, I think Kabak's probably the best place to start, really. Uh, obviously, I think after the first two weeks, we all would have said, no, we need to sign one. But... For 18 million, suddenly now he's looking like a bit of a snip. So does it all does it all rest on Kabak really for where we go in the summer? If he continues like he has been, I know he's believed the Turkey last night as well. Um, has he already persuaded the club to sign him, or do you think there's more to be done yet? Yeah, I think there's I think there's definitely more to be done yet. Um, you know, 
it's probably no surprise that he had those, you know, he's a little bit shaky in those, those early sort of, early sort of games coming in, you know, with his age and, and the fact that so much pressure on him. I thought he's done, he's done really well, really, to, to turn things around. He's, he's been looking really promising in recent performances. But I still think quite a bit for him to do. I think, you know, Liverpool aren't going to rush into anything. They've got time to exercise that option. So they'll, you know, they'll take till the end of the season before they sort of weighing up what, what they want to do. But, I would, you know, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, do next season, do Liverpool want to give themselves five options at centre-half? That's something I sort of wrote about recently, the idea that, you know, even if Van Dijk and, you know, incredibly is in a physical sense coming back, it's still going to be difficult for him, isn't it? In terms of, you know, finding that rhythm early on. And I, I don't suppose you'll be dipping him in and out of the team as much, but it's, you know, you, you always get those setbacks in terms of muscle injuries and things like that. Joe Gomez, you know, I think he struggled for form, didn't he, when he came back from his first big knee injury. So, mm. you know, again, again, you don't want to take things too quickly with him and expect too much of him. So I do wonder whether Liverpool want to give themselves quite a lot of, you know, and I do, like I said earlier, this is all dependent on whether they qualify for Europe or not. Mm. But I think they might, you know, there is a there is a world where they give themselves five options at centre-half next season. And, you know, that, that makes it easier then to say, OK, 18 million for Kabak is an excellent deal. He's only 20, he's only going to get better and he's been fairly impressive in part so far. And then give themselves an option to say, well, you know, Joe Matip, we can't necessarily rely on him. His, his injury record has been so poor of late and, you know, do we get another one in? Someone like, for example, Coletta Carr. I know mm. Liverpool did want him in January and if they'd have gone in for that deal a little bit earlier, that, that, that deal was there to be done with Marseille. Um, he's a player who statistically completely fits the bill for what they're looking for at centre-half. And I do wonder whether, knowing he's available for such a, a low price relatively, they might think about going back in for him in the summer. So that'll be a, one to watch. It's um, it's interesting. It's, it, it's very, very difficult to say what Liverpool will do at centre-half. And I, I don't, you know, I don't want to take any... Uh, take any guesses at it and I'm sure some people will but you know we, we do know they want to strengthen there they know that going into it with three options this this year is, is not quite worked out for them there's a little bit of a gamble and it sort of didn't pay off and next season they want to they want to put that right and, and give themselves a wealth of options at centre half and yeah big decisions to make come back effectively playing for his future and and then the rest we'll, we'll see what happens yeah I, I think we've got no choice but to go with five if I'm honest um Given what's gone on this season, and you've right obviously mentioned Matip's injuries, but you could put Joe Gomez in the same category, in my opinion. Like, really good player, like I touched upon earlier, but unfortunately, you know, he's picking up injuries quite regularly now, and that's only going to continue, you'd, you'd think. Um, well, I, I, to be fair, I, I feel for Joe Gomez in the sense, I think he's maybe different to Matip in, in that Joe Gomez has just had a couple of, of horror, horror big, injuries, yeah, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah, in the knee. And the one he got, the one he got at Burnley as well when he when he the broke leg his leg. Break, in wasn't the, it? Yeah. yeah, which again was unfortunate. I thought it was a really mm. poor challenge actually from, from Ben Mee that went sort of under the radar a little bit. Um, so you know, just just unlucky. I think I think Matip is one that that strikes me as slightly more of an issue, just because of the types of injuries he's yeah. constantly picking up, muscle injuries and, and and things like that. Stuff that you would put down to to maybe an injury prone player. Um, and I think yeah. you know he's 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 getting he's getting older now, and it, you know that is it going to be as easy to recover? And how many games can he get out of the next season? I mean, it's a shame really, because he's, he's without doubt for me, an absolutely world-class centre half when he's, when he's on it. Um, but he, he just cannot stay fit, can he? So it's, it's really, and that, and his fitness record makes, makes those decisions even more difficult for Liverpool. It's, 
it's why it's why Michael Edwards gets paid as much as he does. Yeah, you might because, like you say, you know, you watch Matip and you watch Gomez, you think, oh yeah, brilliant, we don't need options. And Klopp probably does the same thing. But then we all know as a collective that in two, three weeks' time, you might only have one of them, you might have none of them. So it's a really difficult yeah. one. And the one person we haven't touched on is the Bolton Bavese, Nat Phillips. <laughs> um, I mean, you, very quickly to finish, are we looking at maybe a sixth option with him? Are we looking at him being at the club? Um, what, what, what would you say from that? Well, again, they, they, if they do decide to go with five centre-halves, then, you know, that's, that's not concrete at all. But if they do, you know, is Nat Phillips the perfect option for that? He's got a couple of years left on his contract at the end of the season and he might think, OK, well, you know, I, I want to stick around. I want to do this. I, even though I might get fewer minutes, it's likely being part of a squad that's, that's going to challenge for top honours next season. So, you know, it's another one really alongside Kabak. I think maybe maybe he's playing for his Liverpool future a little bit. And, you know, if you can get one more year out of him in that fifth choice role and then he gets to move on with everyone's blessing and, and really, really get his, his career started, I think that might be a, an ideal option for everyone. But he's got, to, he's got to keep performing well until the end of the season and then see where he's at. I just yeah. want to pick up on a point that you you've sort of emphasised um, throughout, really, and that's about, you know, Liverpool's finishing position um, in terms of their in terms of their spending power. Um, I remember a few weeks back um, when I think the criticism of, of FSG really sort of reached a bit of a crescendo. Um, they seemed to put out a message um, in the press that Klopp would be, would be backed in the summer with essentially the, the funds he needs to restore our title chances. Um, you know, Sort of independently, do you do you buy that? Um, you know, how much can we realistically expect? Because on top of FSG's usual uh, stance in terms of their you know frugality, we've had the effects of the pandemic, obviously, and you know potentially finishing seventh eighth. Yeah, I think I think Liverpool are in a position where they can wear not being in the Champions League for a season, you know, a lot better than maybe at the start of FSG's reign. I don't think it should have a such an incredible impact on the bottom line that they can't go into the transfer market. I think, you know, where they finish in, in terms of the size of the squad they need will be a will be an interesting one. But I think in terms of, you know, not backing the manager, that that shouldn't be an option as far as I'm concerned. I don't think I don't think FSG would have any any excuses really if the if it comes to the summer and, and Jurgen Klopp doesn't get what he needs because, you know, let's be honest, it's not an awful lot. I think I think the spend Last summer, if, if they did something similar to that, I think everyone would, you know, three players who, who everyone thought Liverpool needed, and and I, you know, I think it would have proven to be the case. And it wasn't a it wasn't a huge spend either. But I think you know, just smart buys like that, I think is all Liverpool fans want to see. I don't think the, I think everyone's, you know, if a Haaland can be done, that would be fantastic. But you know, another, another a summer where basically if Liverpool got one centre half, one central midfielder, if if Wijnaldum leaves and, and one centre forward. Or, or, or forward, should I say? I think everyone would be sort of happy with that, and I don't. I don't think there's. I don't get the impression that the, there's, the money won't be there for Liverpool to do that. They maybe will have to move a couple of players on finally, um, but I, I think the money should be there to, to do that sort of business. And if not, then then I think questions will deserve to be asked. But I don't, for now, I'm I'm pretty convinced that, that Liverpool have got the money to do what they need, and and, and I think they will do it. There'll be a sort of clamour and, and there'll be pundits saying, oh, you know, they finished outside the, the top four, top six. Why aren't they spending spending the money? Um, and as you know, David, you'll probably be subject to loads of uh, messages on Twitter, like shooting the messenger down if you if you uh, put out those kind of 
messages. But, you know, obviously the sensible point of view, and I think what the club will take into account is um, this isn't the Liverpool aren't finishing where they will finish on merit. And obviously the, the injuries have sort of decimated them and turned it into a bit of a, a pale limitation. So as you say, it will only be it will only be tweaks that are needed, really. Yeah, very much so. I, I, that's it. And I think people can't forget that when going into the new season saying, oh, Liverpool need this, this and this. Uh, you know, the, 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 it just needs small tweaks, this squad. Like I say, a little, a, a similar summer to the last, you're making small tweaks to an incredibly good squad that's already going to get some, some, it's going to improve by default, just getting some of these players back from from injury and then and then see where they're up to. I think, you know, hopefully they're involved in European football. So that means that they can sort of sustain a squad and, and put together a squad that they can keep together for a couple of seasons. Then they don't have to do too much to it. Um, you know, you don't want to be having to shrink things down and to then expand again when they get back into Europe because that's just inconvenient, makes things difficult for everyone. So I think um, I think hopefully they'll get European football. They can sustain a big, a decent squad size and then, yeah, and, and just make those small tweaks. And I think they'll be right, right back up there. I think if you're Manchester City, you know, they should be expecting Liverpool to be challenging them for the honours next season because I think, like I say, just just getting some of those players back from injury and then doing the little tweaks they'll do, you know, keeping Jossa fit for a full season, hopefully having a full season of Henderson, a full season for Fabinho alongside the centre-halves. I think it would make such a difference this squad. So, um, yeah. Loads to look forward to going into next season. I think for Liverpool, and I think I think the money's there to do the business, and and yeah, still got a world class manager in charge, a, a group of world class players. So, really exciting future for Liverpool. Yeah, and um, I like that. I like that note of optimism. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we are sort of running out of time. You know, I'm, I'm literally staring at the uh, at the Zoom counter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Um, it's been it's been absolutely brilliant to uh, to talk to you about this, and I've, I've really enjoyed listening to you sort of the insight and, and your views on a lot of these uh, issues. Just um, as just before we go, um, I know that you've been uh, doing some freelance work recently with. Um, it's, I think I've seen uh, the Echo and, and this is Anfield. If you've got anything you want to sort of uh, take the opportunity to to plug quickly, then uh, by all means. Yeah, no, uh, I have been doing, yeah, I'm freelancing for various places now. So best thing anyone can do is just click the links when I send them out and that'll uh, keep me getting work. So yeah, thanks again, thanks again, David, uh, for, for taking the time out to to, uh, to join us today. And um, yeah, that's going to be all for this episode. We'll be back next week um, to look ahead to, we'll be looking ahead to two huge games with uh, Arsenal and Real Madrid. Um, but that that's it for now and uh, we'll see you then. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.